So what we're going to talk about today, the gospel is intended for everybody. And scripturally, it says, though, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Last week, we talked about how the gospel went forth to the Jew first. He came to his own people. I think we've already laid the foundation of why they're saying no. But if, they, if he came to his own people, now watch, uh, Tom Constable is an old professor of mine at Dallas Theological Seminary. And by the way, this man uh, has written through and, and done a commentary through every book of the Bible. It's free. It's available. I would encourage anybody to read it and study it. I'm serious because sometimes when you're reading it, you want a little bit more like historical reference of maybe what does this look like. And I love this. And this is what Constable says. He says, contrast with the rejection, right, of the Jews is acceptance. Not everybody rejected Jesus when he came home. Do you remember when I talked about home last week? Do you remember he's coming? The welcome mat should be out and, the, and he's knocking at the door and the, and the Jews are like, hey, who's that? Who's at the door? Oh, don't let him in. But there will be some people that will let him in. And what you're going to see in verse 11, uh, in transitioning into verse 12, is some people are letting him in. You're going to transition from the Jews to another people group, but to all who did receive him, who welcomed him home. He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now let's go back to verse 12 and let's begin to unpack some of this language. So if it's not to the Jews, it's going to, and I, it's going to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles, according to uh, Smith's Bible Dictionary, it means nations. So if you're not a Jew, guess what you are? You're a Gentile. And the Gentiles can, can compile up of nations. It, the, the whole concept of Gentiles, this is going to sound offensive, okay? Really, the purpose of a Gentile is it's who you're not. Does that make sense? You're not a Jew. So there's language of a Gentile. You're really, it's just because we're not them. And that sounds kind of strange, but that's really what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, when you look at, there's a, there's a lady that did a study named Emily Hall. I, I really like her study on the, on the Gentiles. And she said, think about it this way. The Gentiles never really had access to God's laws. So here it is. Jesus is coming to people, right, that did not know him, and they didn't, they didn't grow up with those laws. And yet it says, to those who would receive him, this word receive, it, it, it's a gift. I love this language. It'd be like me coming up to Robert and to Lee and say, hey guys, I got something totally free for you. And you're like, hey, what's the catch? You'd be, amen, right? <laughs> Most people are like, I don't know. Like if you saw a package on your door and it just said your name on it, you'd be like, I don't know. You check your ring doorbell is what you do, right? You need to watch to see who dropped it off. And like, there's always this, it seems too good to be true. But in the Gentile language, scripture says in John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who received this gift, John 4, verse 10 talks about this. John 4, verse 10 talks about how this is uh, what we would consider a gift. It says, Jesus answered, if you knew, remember he's talking to the Samaritan woman, which by the way, is a mix of a Jew and a Gentile. That's kind of the whole Samaritans had their own mixed bag of identity issues. And he says, if you knew, talking to the Samaritan woman, the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, and you would ask him, he would give you living water. In other words, if you knew that I am the gift, 
you would receive this. So in John 1, back, going back to this text, he just says, um, but to all who did receive him, who received this gift, you do not have to work for this. You don't have to earn it. You can go to church all you want, the scripture says, and it still ain't getting you into heaven. You can get baptized all you want, but never receive Jesus, and it still doesn't get you in. You can take communion. You can do all of these little things, light candles, pray to certain people. But if you don't receive the gift, it doesn't matter. And in fact, scripture says, if you don't receive him, then you don't have the right to be a children of God. But praise God, John 1, 12, when Jesus came and they did receive him, those that did, <laughs> he said, you are now a child of God. Right? This is weird language, though, because up until this point, typically the Israelites were what? The children, children of God. Of God yeah. And now he's saying, I am now opening up the orphanage. Amen. I'm adopting anybody into my presence. Ray, you want to speak into that? Yeah, it's, it's the, uh, you know, I just love the language of Colossians where it says that God was reconciling the world to himself, mm -hmm. not counting their trespasses against him, not trespassing, trespassing against them, and he's given us the message of reconciliation. Yeah. So the gospel is actually Jesus reconciling orphans back to the Father's heart. <laughs> Can you go to Romans 10, 12? Let's just speak into what Ray just referenced. Romans 10, 12, and we'll build on this. Good, good language, uh, Ray. Romans 10, 12. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. So now we're going from Jew to Greek, but if you call on the name of the Lord, you're now in his family. Just one more, one more reference. Can you go to Acts 15, verse 9, Kevin? Kevin, this is the one that you actually identified in our, in our conversation. Acts 15, verse 9, it says, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Ray? Uh, what is interesting is that, you know, Abraham is the father of all of the Jewish people. But in Galatians, when you receive Jesus you actually are part of his family. And I love the language where Paul talks about uh, Abraham receiving the sign of faith mm. of circumcision, but he asked because it says that he believed in God and his credit to him as righteousness. And then he asked the question, did it, was he righteous before or after <laughs> the sign? He was righteous before. Yeah. So that's the, Jew, that's the Gentile line that's being birthed out of him. Uh, those that just believe, but then the sign of circumcision and all of the law and all of the things that are the benefit of the Jewish people. Also, we all have the same father. Yeah. Phil Wickham, have you guys ever heard of House, House of, uh, what's the House of the Lord song? Have you guys heard of this by Phil Wickham? I crank this thing up, okay, like all the time. And uh, I wrote down some lyrics and, and it's talking about this right here, about being the right right? To be children of God. So here you have, uh, we worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. And then it just keep going. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God holds the victory. Yeah. Like, okay, you see God's doing all the work. Now there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place and we won't be quiet. We're going to shout out your praise. We were the beggars, 
now we're royalty. And then it says, we were the prisoners, now we're running free. We were, and then it keeps going. It says, we're forgiven, accepted, and redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. I want to go back to this part, Kevin, about we were the beggars, now we're royalty. That's a whole new identity that we're given. Like everything has been shifted because we received what literally Jesus did on the cross. He was dead for three days. He was buried. And on the third day, he came back to life. And because of us believing that, we were granted the right to be children of God. So now no longer is it just the Jew mentality. Oh, by the way, we have a future as well. We have been what's called grafted in, right? You want to just describe that now because we have faith, we've been grafted in. What does that mean? Even yeah, mean? so, you know, the Bible uses a lot of analogies of Israel to an olive tree. And Paul even uses that language in Romans where we are grafted in, meaning we are not an olive branch originally. Uh, and now we're grafted in and we grow off of that, off of the, the trunk of that tree. And, you know, other language he uses is adopted. Um, and so we who were far off had no way of getting to God. Jesus reconciled us back and grafted us in and adopted us into the family. And now we have all the rights and privileges as citizens of heaven. Amen. Okay, so here's what's happening. I'm going to all go back to the Old Testament. I want you to hang in here with me, okay? So the Jews said no. Now the Gentiles, because of who they are in Christ, they're children of God. So it's a fair statement. I said this last week. If you don't know Christ, you're not a child of God. So don't confuse other religions and say, oh, because they worship God or they worship Allah, that all of a sudden everybody's a child of God. That is a false theology. You are only inherited, adopted into, inherited the kingdom of God because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what gives us the right to go from beggars to royalty, to prisoners who are running free. And, oh, I'm free! But did you realize that John 1 verse 12 is just a simple fulfillment of what all the Old Testament was already talking about? God had a plan for the Gentiles from the very beginning. And I, I told Ray earlier today, I don't know if I tied all that in together. This should not catch them off guard, Ray. We get little glimpses of it with, even in Jesus's bloodline, yeah. there's Gentiles. That's right. And to just really offend the religious, there's a prostitute in his bloodline. Rahab, Rahab, Rahab a Gentile who was spared from the burning of Jericho because she welcomed the spies, right? was a Gentile who said, oh, by the way, I'm a part of God's plan. Okay, aside from Rahab, then you have Ruth. Yep. Ruth is the same thing in this mentality of kinsman redeemer, right? All yep. of this language in Ruth too. She's a Gentile widow who is now in the lineage. So you can see God has favor with Gentiles in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. Go back to Genesis 12, would you please? Genesis 12 uh, again, I want you to understand something. God, remember, remember this? He made a promise to Abraham at that time, Abram. And he said, the Lord to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land. I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now here it is. 
I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Guess what? The peoples on earth, that's Gentiles. So all of a sudden, Abram is now going to point to a prof- Moses is speaking too, right? This language of Abram. You're going to be a fulfillment of John 1.12. John 1.12 is when the Gentiles receive you. Guess what? That's a blessing that's coming through Abram. Why is it coming through Abraham? Because Jesus is a part of that lineage. Does that make sense? Like, let's just keep tying this in. John 1.12 should not catch any of us off guard. So the same mentality is, okay, great. Now, watch this. Kevin, can you go to, no, go to Genesis 15, 4 through 6. Genesis 15, 4, 5, and 6 as well. This will just kind of support this as well. Now, the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to them, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, right, no offense, but I'm pretty sure that the offspring that's going to be numerous is not just limited to Jewish people. Absolutely. And, and back, tying back into the Galatians passage, he's the father that's of right. all who believe. That's right. Kevin, can you go to Genesis 22, 15, 16, 17, and 18? Genesis 22, 15 through 18. Uh, Genesis 22, it just talks this language. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, by myself, I have sworn. This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing, have not withheld your only son. Remember that? Coming to sacrifice Isaac. Because you have walked this thing out, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. In case you don't think it's just the stars, now it's the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their of their enemies. And in verse 18, it says, in all of the nations of the earth, remember Gentiles means nations, in all of the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command, right? Uh, just want to make sure we realize that Abraham knew what he was talking about. Amen. That he was, that he was uh, going to be the father of all who believe because uh, and that the Messiah was coming through his bloodline because Abraham said to the Pharisees, he said, he said to them that Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Yeah, that's good. Abraham wanted to see the Messiah and he saw it prophetically. He could see it. Yeah. I think he also saw it. Amen. Amen. Kevin, can you go to Isaiah 49 verse 6? So the Jews are supposed to be the example to the nations. Isaiah 49 uh, verse 6, it says this, Is it not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring uh, the protected one of Israel? I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Israelites, the Jewish people, were to be the beacon that points them to the Messiah. Okay, so the Jews in the Old Testament, that was their role. Now, in that there was some exceptions that the Gentiles, very few, would maybe start coming to that direction. I want to show you how this is flipped. Now, think about this. Kevin, if you can, go to Exodus 12, 47 and 48. Again, this comes from Emily Hall. I see some people online. Uh, Emily Straw, Emily Hall, okay? <laughs> Emily Hall, H-A-L-L. Uh, it says this, a whole community of Israel must celebrate it. If a foreigner resides with you, a Gentile wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover, 
So if he's drawn to participating that, every male in his household must be circumcised and then he may participate. He may become like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat it. So you have the Jews being the light and the Gentiles saying, hey, if you want to be a part of it, you have to come into our, into our path of works, right? Fair enough. So that's what's weird to me is in the Old Testament, it's the Jews that are supposed to be drawing people to the Lord, right? I, I think the, the circumcision was a sign of belief. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, absolutely. So in so, other words, I, th I think he's saying, you, if you're going to participate in the Passover, yeah. you got to believe what he's representing. Okay, now here's what's crazy. In the Old Testament, I, I'm willing to bet there probably weren't a whole lot of Gentiles signing up for that. Fair? Yeah. Hmm? No thanks, right? Uh, you know, the exception is Nineveh. Okay, man, it's like, have you seen my notes? I haven't, but... Yeah, this is awesome. You told me to throw it out, and now you're using them all. <laughs> so, all right, think about it this way, okay? The exception is Nineveh, because God had such a heart. I want to show you, even from the beginning, God still had a heart for the Gentiles, even though the Jews were the chosen people. Think about this. Nineveh was a mess. All of a sudden, he says to Jonah, hey, Jonah, go to Jonah 1, verse 2. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. Kevin? I think this is a softball for you. Did Jonah go to Nineveh right away? Nope. Okay, good. Tom, where did Jonah end up? Nineveh. No, well, eventually, but he got swallowed up by a fish. We're doing really well today. This should make everybody feel good. Okay, so here's the deal. Rich is like, okay, Rich, you're next. So uh, here's what I love is that, did, uh, did Jonah want to go to the Gentiles? No, why would I want to go to those evil, rotten people, right? They need to repent. And then finally, in the process of getting, right, spit out by the fish, it says that they repented. In Jonah 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8, the men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast, dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And then when word uh, reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles. No man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both men, uh, man and beast, must be covered with sackcloth. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Why is this important? Because this is a Gentile people group. Okay. And the Jews then did not want them to turn to, to God. Isn't that crazy? In Deuteronomy 32, Kevin, if you'll go there, it's a little bit of a different verse, Kevin, than what I told you. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. Watch this. This is so ridiculous. Moses prophesies, and Paul's eventually going to recite it. In Deuteronomy 32, 21, it says, they, the Gentiles, have provoked my jealousy. Well, let me back up. The Jews, okay, I'll get this. The Jews have provoked my jealousy with their so-called God. So what's happening is, is that the Jewish people with time and Moses' time, they started to drift away from their calling of being the, the light and the salvation for the people, for the nations. They've enraged me with their worthless idols. The Jews have started to put in place of God different little idols and all these little shelves. And he says, so God says this, fine, you play that game with your idols, I will provoke their jealousy. The Jews will have jealousy with an inferior people. I will enrage them with a foolish nation. In other words, I'm going to create a spirit of jealousy in people 
that don't really know anything about me, but I'm going to make them jealous. And the Jews don't want anything to do with that. But Moses prophesies it's going to happen. In the Old Testament, it says that there will be a people group that will make the Jews jealous because they will have what the Jewish people were supposed to have. Even though, how crazy is this? In Abraham's time, he is prophesied and told, by the way, you're going to be the blessing. And when he starts being a blessing, they get mad. So then it, what happened was it got to the point where, Kevin, if you'll go to Ezra 5.12. When you go to Ezra 5.12, it says this. God, and again, Emily Hall references this point. God uses the Gentiles to eventually judge Israel. But since our fathers angered the God of heaven, he handed them, the Jewish people, over to the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. That's the Gentiles, the Chaldeans, who destroyed this temple and, de and deported the people to Babylon. So now the Gentiles are playing a different role. They are welcoming the Jews in because guess what? They get to judge them and they get to rule and reign over them. And yet the Jews were supposed to be the blessing to these people. But because they didn't want to give it away, they wanted it for themselves, it just didn't work. Ray, you got anything else to that before we transition? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really good. And even in the process of the, uh, even the fulfillment of the prophecy to Abraham that through him all the nations will be blessed, mm -hmm. when the Jewish people, you know, Nebuchadnezzar goes in and destroys the temple and brings the captives back, he actually ends up getting blessed by the Jewish people being under his reign and rule he ends up coming to recognize the God of the Jews in the end. <laughs> Amen. John 1, verse 14, right? You guys know this, uh, but remember, we've already been talking about this. It just says, right, who was not born, not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of the man, but of God. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the Word. He took flesh. When he came and took flesh, he took residence among us. God Emmanuel, God with us. He first went to the Jews, just like God did with Abram. Matthew 15, 24, Jesus replied, I, he's talking about himself, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I want to emphasize, again, in the, in the last 27 books, the New Testament, he does the same thing as what the language is in the Old Testament. I'm coming to my people first. And yet at the same time, I want to make sure everybody understands when they rejected him, he actually had a heart for the Gentiles. Like this wasn't just for the lost, or the, the sheep. Kevin, you have something? Even Paul wanted to go to the Jews first. Kevin, do you know my notes? Yeah, I do. He does? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I Good can job, them, Kevin. But... All right. I'm going to come back to that, Kevin, in a little bit. Okay, Jesus, if you guys want to write some of this down again, this comes from Emily Hall. Jesus desired for the Gentiles, that we, the language of Jesus and his kingdom, he desired for the Gentiles to be what? To be in his kingdom. Go to Matthew 4, verse 8. The enemy knows that he wants to rob Jesus of ministering to all of the nations. So it says in Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. In other words, in verse 9, he says, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. In other words, if you don't go through the death, burial, and resurrection and you worship me now, you won't have all the nations. 
So the enemy knew this was one of Jesus' desires. And so he speaks right into it and tries to cut it off and said, hey, if you worship me, that's not going to happen. Go to John 3, 16, 17. Just so you know, Jesus desired the Gentiles to be in his kingdom. John 3, 16 and 17. You know this, but I want you to see how this ties in. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world uh, that he might judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is not talking just Jewish people language. The world he's talking about. Jesus desired for the Gentiles to be in his kingdom. Why? Well, because I think this is true. Jesus, another point here, is that Jesus felt compassion. He felt compassion for the Gentiles. So in this, and let me just put it this way, and showed love. Oops. And he showed love. I want to write this up here. So if anybody wants to see this, it's from Emily Hall. Jesus felt compassion and showed love. Think about this. The Canaanite woman's demon-possessed daughter. If I say Canaanite, you should automatically know non-Jew. How about the Roman centurion servant? Non-Jew. How about the Samaritan woman? Constantly, Jesus is, not only did he feel compassion, but he showed in the New Testament, he's got love for them. So yeah, he had a mission to the lost sheep, but the reality is, is he's beginning to model for us what it looks like to go to the nations. How do we know? Number three, Jesus, very clearly, Jesus told his disciples. Earlier on, he told them to go to the lost of sheep, right? In Matthew 10, 5 and 6. But now he's changing gears and it says in Matthew 28, he told his nations to go to the nations. All right, so he told his disciples to go to the nations. What did that look like? Okay, I'm going to give you a couple examples here. Okay, how did the apostles die? I know that's a, a little bit of a backward graphic here. All right, first of all, Peter uh, over here, yeah, he was crucified upside down by Nero, but eventually uh, you know, he died in, in Rome, 66 AD, roughly under Emperor, uh, Emperor Nero. St. Paul, same as well, by the way. Uh, same time frame. Uh, both of them were killed that way. Uh, Paul was possibly beheaded, possibly. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew, let's go to Andrew here for a second. Andrew crucified on an X shaped in Greece. This is interesting. So when Jesus commissioned his disciples, the 12, right? Judas was replaced by Matthias, right? All this stuff. You realize they actually went out. He was killed in Greece, but he also, some people say he went to the land of man eaters, <laughs> which is known at that time would have been Soviet Union. He preached in Asia Minor. He preached in Turkey. My point is, is that at that point when he sent the Great Commission to the nations, guess what? They did it. Thomas, okay? Where's our buddy Thomas? Thomas over here, stabbed with a spear in India. Some say he was active in Syria and then probably preaching as far as east of India. Uh, they also say Bartholomew. Bartholomew, they would say, even maybe traveled with him uh, to India with Thomas. He went to Armenia, Ethiopia, Arabia, and even into Asia Minor. Uh, and Syria. I just, again, I want to show you, they're dying in places because they went somewhere. Because they had a mission to fulfill. The Great Commission, can I just say it very simply? You are either a missionary or you're a mission. I'm either going to be the one that shares the gospel or I'm the one that has to receive it. There's no middle ground. 
And what we see here is that these apostles listened and went after the nations, even after they spent three years with Christ into the Jewish people. By the way, Kevin, you're absolutely right. The apostle Paul, okay, uh, just so you know, the apostle Paul, uh, besides Jesus, right? The apostle Paul went to the Gentiles. Kevin, can you go there for me just as a reference? Can you go to Acts, uh, Acts 26, 14 through 18? Apostle Paul went to Gentiles. Uh, get, get up, stand on your feet. Remember Jesus shows up to Paul, road to Damascus. Stand on your feet for I've appeared to you for this purpose. Wouldn't you love it if Christ just showed up that point blank and said, I have a purpose for you. To appoint you as a servant and witness of what you have seen and what, what I will reveal to you. Now watch in verse 17, to you, I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles, I now send you to them. Paul's whole goal is to go to the Gentiles, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All of this, all of this right here should lead to one thing. It's what we call the fullness of the Gentiles. It's my favorite phrase in the scripture. Kevin, when you go to Romans 11, for me, verse 25. So that you will not be conceited, Paul writes, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to the Jews, to Israel. So they are saying no right now. Why? Until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So by God's providence, by God's sovereignty, the Jews are saying no corporately. Are there pockets of individual Jewish people saying yes? Absolutely. But this is right here. They're saying no so that you and I have a chance to be grafted in. You look at this language of the fullness of the Gentiles and you have to process, God, I don't really fully understand what that means. Does that mean every single human being that's a Gentile has to say yes to Jesus? No. But I want to show you some statistics of why this is so difficult to understand. Uh, this is the, is it TJ, the Joshua Project, right? The Joshua Project has done analysis of people groups. Now, I want to read to you. So the fullness, right? When we're talking about the fullness of the Gentiles, you have to kind of understand something. What is a, a people group? Uh, the Lausanne Covenant, okay? My mentor, Robert Coleman, was a part of this. In 82, they came up with a definition. For evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding, this is the important, of understanding or acceptance. So the barriers of understanding are not there and the barriers of acceptance is not there. So in other words, that really comes down to, can they have a chance to hear it or can they have a chance to read it and see it? Somehow, some way, the gospel has to be able to be presented to them. Now, granted, in the Old Testament, you have what's called general revelation. It says that people can be drawn to God through, through, uh, through nature. I'm now taking from general revelation to uh, special revelation. Special revelation is talking about people seeing and coming to know Christ because they've heard or seen who he is. Does that make sense? 
So what we're talking about today in this context is, are these people groups, are they and do they have a chance to hear the gospel? Well, how many people groups are there in the world? So in other words, what is the fullness of the Gentiles' capability? Well, one group, one person says that there's 10,900 people groups. Okay, the ethnologue. The people groups, finishing the task, World Christian Encyclopedia, Operation World, they say there's 11,500 or 13,000. Joshua Project, who we're just referencing, 17,400. And then you look at the original UCS, uh, USCWM or Ralph Winter, a lot of you maybe have heard of Ralph Winter, 24,000 people groups. Why is this important? Because when you're trying to figure out what the fullness of the Gentiles are, these are experts and they still don't agree. So if you think we're getting close, we don't really fully know. I will tell you this, these are what we call the unreached people groups. So if you want to have a gauge of people that don't have an understanding or they don't have an acceptance. So that, in other words, is there even an option to go here? Right now, there's 6,800 people groups that don't have a group or that don't have an understanding or an acceptance. According to the Joshua Project, 7,000 people groups. Joshua Project, again, under this context, 4,400. And then uh, Unimax Peoples, it's another organization, 8,000 unreached. In other words, it's going to range from 4,400 to 8,000, either don't understand or haven't accepted and because they haven't been introduced yet. Why is that important? Because the scripture says there's a partial hardening to the Jews until the full number of the Gentiles takes place. This right here is our gauge. Why is the Great Commission so important? Because as soon as this takes place, these people have had a chance to hear, guess what happens to the Jewish people, right? Uh, they come to faith. It's, it's, yeah. They come to faith. And that's why it says in Romans eleven twenty six, once the hardening is taking place and then the fullness of the Gentiles, and it says in this way, once the fullness of the Gentiles takes place, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the liberator will come from Zion and he will turn away godlessness from Jacob. Do you remember that? That godlessness that they were experiencing? He's now turning it away. They're going to come and Jesus is going to come and actually reveal himself. And it says in Matthew 23, 38, what does it happens? Kevin, if you'll go there, it says they will finally cry out to him. Matthew 23, 38 says, 39, Matthew 23, 39, it says, for I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What will spur on the Jews to say that when there's something they're supposed to have? And they finally realized that was meant for me. This spirit of jealousy. Kevin, can you go to Romans 11, 11? <laughs> Romans 11, verse 11. I asked them, have they stumbled in order to fall? The Jews, absolutely not. On the contrary, by their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles has taken place. Why? Because Paul writes to make Israel jealous. Where have we heard that before? Moses writes about it in Deuteronomy 32. The Jews become jealous of an inferior group. In Romans 11, guess what happens? Because salvation is coming to the Gentiles, the Jewish people are finally saying, that was for me. 
So what's one of the biggest signs of, in, and you're talking about end times, what does it have to do with the end times? Because when this takes place, the Jews see what we have. He's coming back. So the reality is the church is holding back the return of Christ. Because we are not going into the harvest. Why do I believe we can see Christ come back in my lifetime? Because I believe God can, because I'm praying, I'm beseeching the Lord, right? The Lord of the harvest to send forth the laborers. When the laborers go into the harvest and we hit this, praise God, he's coming back. And when that takes place, Revelation 7 says this, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. <laughs> says, after this, I looked, there's a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Guess what? That's Jew and Gentile. But it doesn't happen until the fullness of the Gentiles takes place, until you begin to see the laborers, the church in America, in Ethiopia, in Botswana, in Cameroon, in Zambia, it doesn't happen until we start going out and telling everybody we have the best news ever. This morning I was at a, a, a coffee shop and I'm, I'm finalizing my notes and I, I'm looking at these notes and I get a call from a friend of mine uh, and his name is Apostle Joseph. Okay, And he is in uh, what we would call a little area called Benin. It's a little country in Africa. It's along the coast, right? And I see the phone call. Have you guys ever been there? And you're like, yeah, I don't have time for this. So I see this call from Apostle Joseph. I'm like, uh, I'm in a coffee shop. It's super loud. Music is playing. And I know he's going to want to do a video call. And when you do a video call in the Starbucks, you're the annoying guy. <laughs> Hello? Right? You ever done that? And everybody's around you. And you're like, dear Lord, I know this is loud. And all of a sudden, Apostle Joseph starts taking me around, showing me, introducing me to a friend named Bishop uh, John, Apostle John, Pastor John, J-E-A-N. And he starts showing me all around, Tom, what's this city? Cotonou? Cotonou. Cotonou, right? He starts showing me 30 kilometers outside of Cotonou. This is my village. This is where I came to know the Lord. And it's super awesome. And he goes past a van where his vehicle is. He goes, that's my driver. And within three seconds, the Spirit of God said, share the gospel with that man. And I'm like... This is a really hard environment. I'm in a coffee shop. These guys, they speak English, but it's, you guys ever had that dialogue on WhatsApp and you're just like, hello, hello. And then it waits, it's delayed. And in my mind, I'm like, everything is not going to work. But God said, I told you what to do. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've been told to make disciples of all the nations and I don't want to do it right now. And I said to Apostle Joseph, hey, what's your, what's your driver's name? He said, well, let me go find out. His name was Fidel. Young man in a bright yellow shirt and I said, hey, Fidel, can I, can I explain five simple Bible verses to you? And I get this close to the camera on my, you know, my, on my computer. You know, I'm like showing him like this. And he says, yeah, yeah, yes. And he doesn't say yes in English because he doesn't speak English. Great. Now we have another barrier. By the time we're done in our conversation, four languages took place as I went through the gospel. Four. English went to French. French went to Goan. And then Goan went to Yoruba. I don't even know those languages existed. And so Apostle Joseph pulled out a computer and he started typing in Romans 3.23 that everybody's a sinner. And then Fidel read that in French out loud. And then in order to understand it, then they went from going to Yoruba and then he began to understand. 
Most Africans speak three, four dialects. So it might not be their main language, but they understand. And then we go through, okay, everybody's a sinner. And by the way, in French, rich, I started reciting French and I don't speak it. I Google translate, peche. Again, if you speak French, I totally botched that, but it means sin. And then they're like, they're like laughing at me, you know, this dumb American, whatever. And then I have him read Romans 6.23. He pulls it up, types it up. Romans 6.23, everybody uh, is going to die. Desis, desis, I don't know, it's French somehow. So we go from sin, which leads to death. And then Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love through the death of Christ on the cross. And so it's so crazy. Then we get to amor. Oh, I, I kind of know that word. Sin, death, and love. And what's starting to happen is these three, amidst Starbucks, I don't even care anymore. Like everything goes out the window. When you're being called to commission as an ambassador, you'll be a fool for him. You won't care. That's the point. If we want to see the return of Christ, we can't care anymore, you guys. And I'm not talking about people. I'm just talking about pleasing of man, worried about fear. Because you know really what happened? Everybody in Starbucks heard the gospel in two languages. I think the second language. So we're going from sin and death and love. And then I had him type in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So the next thing you know, they're scrambling around. He's typing it up and Fidel's reading that one. And I said, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. And I asked a great question that all of us have known, even from James Kennedy days. And I just said, hey, what would it look like? What would you say to, in order to get into heaven? If God asked you, how do you receive eternal life? And Fidel didn't even flinch. He said, good works. <laughs> Uh, F-O-I, foi, foi, faith. And you could just see it just still. I, at that point, I didn't care about my lesson. I didn't care about Starbucks. This guy is pursuing this Gentile. And we get into Romans 10, 9 and 10. And, uh, he reads it. <laughs> and he, it was so obvious. And he said, yes, I want this life, la vie, la vie. And I said to Apostle Joseph, but then went to Pastor John, and then Pastor John went to Fidel. That's how it all worked this whole time. It took a long time. And he prayed those two, and he surrendered the Lord to the Lord. And he had life because he had faith in his love. And like, don't make this great commission too hard. Like, don't make it too theological. Don't make this about a seminary or a decree. That's what's so weird to me. I shouldn't even have to preach on this. I actually think it could have come back a thousand years ago. If we would embrace who Christ is in our life today, the Gentiles would hear. And this young man in Benin, I never even heard of it until last year. A guy named Fidel is now going to get discipled by Apostle John and Pastor John and then get baptized. And then they're going, we'll send you photographs. <laughs> Why is this important? Because every Fidel that comes to know Christ means we're that much closer to the Jews saying, that's what I want. When we live out what we've been commissioned to do, he's coming back. So, yeah. John 1, uh, 11 and 12 are everything. 
But to all who, uh, verse 12, Kevin, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name and watch this, they were born again. John 3, 3, those who were born, born again, not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man. But when you are born of God, you have eternal life. And that, my friends, will usher in the return of Christ. You can play all the games you want of all these signs and all these wars and rumors wars. Yes, that's all a part of it. But you guys, this is the heart of Christ. I know we're way past time, but man, we're so close, you guys, to seeing him come back. Why would we not press through and see the finish line?